Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. And as ever, it is myself, Toby Tarrant. It is ex-England fast bowler, now Sussex medium pacer, Stephen Finn. And the one and only... Mr. Daniel Norcross as well. Uh, I was going to say, sorry, I'm late, chaps, for this record, but actually I was still earlier than both of you, even though I had to finish off the new David Attenborough show and have a cup of tea and eat a gold bar. I managed to do all that time before either of you joined the call. Uh, It's lovely to see you both. Uh, So I can describe for people listening to this what Stephen Finn is currently come dressed as. You look like um like a straight to DVD Rafael Nadal is the best way that I can describe it. <laughs> a, a white t-shirt and a backwards white cap and matching white AirPods as well. What's uh what's inspired this look? Well, the moment you fucking turned into Brad Pitt has <laughs> evaded me. <laughs> fucking sunburnt, pathetic, flimsy, spaghetti-armed, fucking on your way to being bald prick that you are yourself. So. Don't be sledging me for what I'm wearing here. My full head of hair being hidden by a white cap. You act like you're 15 years older than me and you're actually the same age, which is sad in itself. So, um, yeah, good to see you too. And and also the fact that you're early and neither of us rocked up is probably significant and shows how little you actually mean to me or Dan, um, which again, I hope, I hope you feel fucking sad about as well. So, yeah, good week to you. Well, now you put it like that, Finney. I was with you all the way until I realised that I was actually 24 hours early for this, wasn't I? But oh, yeah. Was, uh, but, but was told as I was going up to Salford Quays early. It, it, How it, early? Well, I arrived in Salford Quays at, at five o'clock for a 10 o'clock start of a match. So Okay, so you're only a couple of hours. About three, Yeah. But you know, there's a lot to there's a lot to do there. There's a lot to do in Salford Keys. I I can I can check out the menus of all the different chain restaurants that are there and see which one I haven't eaten in most recently. I mean, that's basically the most interesting thing you get to do. Ooh, 
think I did Cafe Rouge two weeks ago, so it might be Wagamama's today. I mean, I mean, I don't want to, you know, butt in here, but obviously if you're going to Cafe Rouge, you're getting the steak baguette with a couple of French fries, though. It's, oh, it's fucking wonderful. No, I get the I get the French onion soup and the beef burger and with fries. You, you, <laughs> of course you do. Of course you do. What, what else would Norcross eat? I would I like to basically nip- liquid food because my teeth and gums are completely screwed through old age. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fascinating glimpse into the future, isn't it? Uh, there is one thing I'd like to nip in the butt there. Finney, you, I might be a spaghetti-armed, balding, you know, pathetic <laughs> excuse for a man and sunburn. Sunburn. Yeah, yeah. But I'm 30 years old. You're 32 years old. So we can nip that in the butt straight away. You yeah, but fuck- you look a lot older. If, you, if we were to do a lineup, obviously Norcross, he'd come in at like ninety three. Yeah, then you'd that. be probably late thirties, and I'd probably be mid to late twenties. I'd say well, mid to late twenties. Mid, yeah, yeah mid. absolutely. We've not seen thought- this head of hair. Look at it. Yeah, well, the hair is one thing, but then it's watching not you many creaking wrinkles. around with all the with all uh, your sports injuries and w- walking slowly with a slight limp. Yeah. And, you know, Wait, I'm playing in a young team this year. They're bringing my age down. It's good. Yeah. Well, you can't you can't simultaneously tell us what a hard job it is being a fast bowler, and then at the same time saying, "Look, I look 23." <laughs> <laughs> good skincare that's, routine. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All those hard yards I've been doing all my life, and then bragging about how young you look. Do we worked out? You also mentioned that I um, am no Brad Pitt. Didn't we work out once that um, Brad Pitt is only five years older than Dan Norcross? That's right. So in theory, in five years' time, Dan, you should yeah. look exactly like Brad Pitt. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm actually planning on looking like Brad Pitt before the end of the summer. I, I, can't, I think that's entirely achievable, given my current routine. <laughs> I think so. I think, I think if you cut out the cigarettes and the wine, I reckon you'd look exactly like Brad Pitt in five oh, years' time. Oh, God. That's, I, keep, I keep saying to myself I should try doing that, but it's been, it's been about 35 years, and it, I don't know. I'm not sure it's going to change, especially now the sun's out. Isn't it absolutely beautiful? That hint, that wisp, there's an apricity in the air. I know you guys don't like these long words, but that beautiful sense of, of warm sun but cool air, um, mm. the, the blossom exploding, the magnolia. By the way, and this is a tip for all of our listeners, um, you may never have thought to do it before, but it's well worth it. I can guarantee before you offer this tip that it'll be no fucking use whatsoever, like every tip you've ever given to anyone in your life. But please is, go ahead. This is, a, this is a cooking tip, actually. Magnolia leaves, especially the white ones, taste delicious. They've got a slightly peppery tang to them. Now, people don't like you pulling them off the trees in their front garden. But if you have an overhanging magnolia, you're perfectly entitled just to pull off a few leaves and shove them in a garden salad. It's, it's like a kind of more sophisticated rocket. I know. I found it, it staggered me too. The pink <laughs> ones aren't bad. The pink ones aren't bad, but the white ones for me give that just greater depth of flavour. That look on Finney's face isn't him being staggered. It's him thinking, what the fuck is Norcross talking about this week? I love that you interrupted to go, I know, I was staggered as well. That's Finney staring at you going, what am I doing with my life? Well, I look, I was surprised myself when I first tried it. But nowadays, this time of year, I always go and nick some magnolia leaves from people's trees and they're overhanging in a public space. And there are a lot of them around at the moment because people haven't pruned them owing to lockdown. So they are in abundance right now. Now, I've got a question for Finney off the back of that, actually, and the changing of the seasons, because a lot of people say that, that living in England, oh, I like the changing of the seasons. But I... I don't give a shit about the changing of the seasons. I'd, I'd happily, every single day from January 1st to December 31st, 20, 25 to 28 degrees, 
not a cloud in the sky. I could do that all I mean, year Not round. with your skin complexion. Come on. <laughs> well, well I'll get you used to it. moving to Bermuda? Because that is one of the more temperate climates. They actually give you your money back. If you have a holiday in Bermuda, they give you 80% of your money back for every degree below 16 degrees it is any time really? of year or something crazy. Yeah, it's really? really it's really mental. And it seldom gets above sort of 33. It's absolutely glorious. That, I, mean, I mean, other aspects of Bermuda, perhaps less great, but, you know, I mean, it's very small. But you, you go around on a moped in Bermuda. A mate of mine got married in Bermuda. And um, I was driving along a moped at about 11 o'clock at night. It was a long time ago now, Statute of Limitations. And the, they've got these little toads that wander across the streets, right? <laughs> wander across the roads. They come out at night. And they make the most fearful popping noise when you run over them on a moped. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's two bits of useful advice for people. <laughs> our, our one and only listener is going to this week be uh, by eating magnolia leaves and driving over toads in his spare time. So thanks for that, Norcross. That's, your, that's, that's what you've left in your wake. We're only about five minutes into this fucking podcast. Um, now, Finney, I know that um, you have to reluctantly do this podcast with us every week. However, on the upside... I actually do, yeah. However, on the upside, um, and I know you don't make any money from this podcast, but you're absolutely loaded now after five days on BT Sport. So, the uh, club, big boy. So, <laughs> Daniel Norcross has been bragging and boasting about how much money he's been paid by BT ever since he did a few Ashes days on there. Five few, days in a, a row. Few, 15, mate. Finney, I mean, you must be absolutely rolling it. Who needs the 100, eh? Very true, actually. I, I Yeah, I, I can't add much more than, than that to it. Yeah, I, I am now absolutely fucking minted and <laughs> loving life on the South Coast down here. You know what you're proving? Yeah. You're, you're proving that Test cricket still has an allure for the modern day cricketer, because you're, the hundred's dead to you, but you're, you're raking it in off Test cricket still. You're like the opposite of Harry Gurney. You're just you're yeah, yeah. All your, you make all your money in the Red Bull game nowadays. When it when it went into a fifth day, I was there like that. Yes, boys, keep these wickets as flat as possible. <laughs> Watching Craig Brathwaite block another Jack yeah. Lynch delivery, just licking your lips. No one's that. cut the day rate again. Cheers, BT Sport. No, no one's told Finney that you get you get paid regardless of for five days, whether the game ends in two or three. Oh, got it. <laughs> the Ashes yeah, was particularly good for that. <laughs> <laughs> Norcross, that, were you a little bit? Was there a little bit of jealousy? Because I thought you were the new darling. I thought you were the poster yeah. boy. No, BT, I did BT cricket. I did, and I and I really, I mean, I was very offended, obviously, not to be an an on chair pundit, where the on chair pundit is always a former cricketer mm. or current cricketer who has played Test cricket. And I thought, <laughs> what was it? What is it about useless amateur black toothed me? Oh, by the way, I'm going to the dentist in May, so I might finally be able to get rid of the black teeth. Uh, Are you getting dentures? No, no, I just they they come at me with a with this thing. It's like a. It's like a kind of power nozzle. I could probably use my neighbour's one that he does for the garden, but it, it might knock my teeth out. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't your missus regularly go around and use the neighbour's power nozzle? But I, I, I can't remember. <laughs> that, was, could explain. that would explain a lot, actually. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know where we were now. Oh, yes. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was deeply jealous. I'll I tell you why I was, most, I was most jealous, because the A... The full commentary team is either out in Barbados or sat on a sat on a bench at two o'clock in the afternoon, not midnight till seven thirty. So I did try to imagine how lovely it would be to be there actually during the hours of daylight, and that brought a little tear to my eye. But I've got to say, in, in all in all seriousness, and I know we're not sincere uh, group, 
But I thought Finney smashed it out of the park in that test oh, match. I thought he was, I thought oh. he was genuinely very good. I was proud of him. I was very proud of him. The only thing that annoyed me was it didn't say because underneath they have a little caption that says Stephen Finn, X number of test matches, X number of wickets. They didn't say X number of episodes of Zero Ducks given. Yeah, which I would have, right. I would have liked that on there as well. But you know, I was very, I was proud. It brought a little a nascent tear to my eye. Although. I actually received a nice um, a nice message off Dan in the week. I thought someone had got his phone and, and pranked me or something. That's a message back saying, that, are you sure this is you? Has someone not got your phone? <laughs> well, Dan, you've never sent me a nice message. Why? Why You never say great show on Radio X today. Because you're you... not good at anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you really played those killers and Oasis and Arctic Monkeys tracks really well today, Toby. Thank you very much. Well, look, I'm sorry about that. It's just that I've still got an analogue radio and I don't know how to retune it away from Radio 4 Longwave. So <laughs> you just you just listen to the shipping forecast. Over and, and over again. Yeah. yeah, yeah auditioning right. for that. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, at some point, we should probably get into the cricket. Uh, we touched on it a little bit there. Another very, very disappointing, horrible, turgid, grim, ugly cricket pitch. Uh, and I was saying to Finney before we started recording, actually, that <sighs> cricket's sort of shooting itself in the foot a little bit with these pitches because I was out in Barbados. I don't know if I mentioned it. And I was chatting to some fans out there who had bought tickets for all five days. And... Um, a lot of them were going, oh, we're not going to go to day four. We're going to probably go and sit on the beach instead. And we might go on day five if it's getting interesting. So actually, in the end, the ground's missing out on them buying drinks, buying food, and actually spending money in the ground because of how boring the cricket was at points. So it might be something worth thinking about in the future of Test cricket, not to make the pitches as crap as this. England are getting closer. They got West Indies five down instead of four down in the previous Test match, trying to win the game. Joe Root said maybe he could have been a bit braver with his declaration. It's interesting because we talked last week just about how brave Joe Root was with his declaration. I was a bit disappointed to see Alex Lees and Zach Crawley walk out at the end of day four. I kind of thought, well, England can't lose this test match from here. Uh, Finney, was he being a bit harsh on himself there, do you reckon, Joe Root? Or was it a bit negative setting West Indies 300 to win? Oh, I think when you look at it and the area where they could have been more positive was the fact that they had enough runs at about 230, you'd have to say. And... It would have been tight, it would, and, but I think in that perspective, they could have they could have pulled out earlier. But I I think they played it right on the night of day four because the West Indies were still within a sniff of winning the game if something extraordinary happened. So so yeah, I don't think they should have opened the batting with anyone other than the two that they did, and they actually played pretty well to get um to get England to where they did on that night. Where they could have been braver, could they have got to their target quicker? Could they have declared a few runs sooner and given themselves an extra 10 overs? I, I, that's where they could have been braver. But I also think he's been a bit harsh on himself. They'd, they'd made all of the running in the test match. They'd done 190 overs in the field the day before. And, and yeah, and they were trying to force the game, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, and let's not forget that they were trying to force the game and then they lost some wickets doing it as well. So, you know, if Stokes comes off like he did in the first things when he had that purple patch, then that might have given Root an extra seven or eight overs. But you're not going to be going around giving the West Indies much of a sniff in that game. There's one game left to go. It's really hard to take wickets. It's clearly really hard to take wickets. So I thought there was actually a bit of a carrot there. I think the West Indies were a bit negative. I think they, on a pitch like that, should have backed their defence when five or six down and had a bit of a dart a little bit earlier and said, right, you know, now you're going to get this out. 
Um, mm, they were three down early, though, weren't they? They were. The only thing. So yeah. I think had they got through those first 15 overs unscathed, then they may have thought Oop. about it. But given what's behind their top five, Jason Holder at six, De Silva at seven, and then a long, long tail in test terms from eight downwards, they probably didn't back themselves, to be honest. But yeah, I think the, the three early-ish wickets dictated that for them. One thing, though, that I'd, I'd be interested in both your opinions on, especially because you were there, Toby, and uh, I had a conversation with a mate about this this week. Everybody's been sort of going, and I don't get me wrong, I love Jack Leach. We all love Jack Leach. Colt here, I've got a T-shirt mm. with his one on it. Um, but everyone's saying what magnificent effort it was for Jack Leach to bowl 600 and something odd balls. But, you know, the cynic in me says, he wouldn't have had to bowl 600 balls if he'd have been a bit more penetrating because he could bowl them out. <laughs> I know. And I, I, also, they, were, they kept going, that, oh, Jack Leach must be knackered. I was like, I mean, it's slow left arm. I mean, <laughs> it can't be that tired. Can he? Yeah. Might, have, might have some sore fingers, but that's about it. Um, well, Jack Leach was the first thing I'd written down that I want to talk about properly, actually. So I'm glad you mentioned it, Dan, because, look, I've not played the game in any sort of standard and I've certainly never bowled slow left arm. I was watching him. He bowled 69 overs. And it was a weird one because did Jack Leach bowl well in the game? Yes, he did. You can't really say he didn't bowl well. He went under two and over in both innings um, and he did eventually take six wickets. But also, I was getting so frustrated watching him because there was a bit in there for the spinner. He turns it very, very slowly. It's not venomous spin. It's quite... Jack Leach bowls like you expect the bloke Jack Leach to bowl. It's quite gentle. It's very nice. It's very pretty. It's, um, he beat the bat a lot, didn't he? He beat the, the bat was, a lot. But, but actually, if you look at the way he beat Brathwaite's back, there was a lot of talk about how, he, how Brathwaite had faced more balls against Jack Leach than any other human has faced against another bowler in, in you know, probably since Alf Valentine bowling to Peter May or something at, at Edgebaston in 1957. Uh, but, <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> but, the thing was, I, th- I thought Brathwaite, even when he was beaten, he, he wasn't beaten, beaten, because he was actually playing for that ball that was going to turn, and he was just holding off stump, really, and he knew that he was going to be okay, and he had time just to slightly adjust the shot, which speaks to your point. Which, uh, But the thing, you can't be 100% sure. If Jack Leach is bowling in a day-night test at Ahmedabad, right, with a pink ball on those pitches that are, that are quicker and come through, is he going to be more effective you know, at that pace than he is at Barbados, where that pitch was just soul-crushingly slow? Not, I have to say, as slow as the uh, the ones in Pakistan, but we'll come to that later, I've no doubt. Yeah, I it's, it's I, I want to come to Finney on this, because um, watching Jack Leach, and like I say, I know nothing about bowling slow left arm, but you think of Graham... You know Stott- nothing about bowling. <laughs> sorry, nothing. sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, can we edit that, Sal, so it just says, I know nothing about bowling, please, from now on. But... Graham Swan's the best spinner that England have had in maybe ever. And what Swan did, I just felt Jack Leach's, his ideal line he wants to bowl is just slightly outside off stump. Whereas Graham Swan's line was a few inches inside that and it pitched on off stump and therefore he was challenging both the inside and outside edge of the bat. And I just felt like Jack Leach didn't challenge the stumps enough and the batsman was pretty safe in knowing it was going to land on and there are no LBW shouts to speak of. None, right. none, Very no few LBW, LBW shouts. And I feel like Jack Leach has got a really nice stock ball, but he just wants to bowl his stock ball. And we saw in Australia what happens when they start hitting that stock ball. He doesn't really have a, a, a ball that he can bowl in, in answer to that. What did you make of Leach's bowling, Finney? I thought he was consistent. I thought he, he was threatening at times. I thought 
Um, he could have done some things differently. He could have varied his pace. He could have moved around on the crease maybe a little bit to bring some different angles into play. I think the position that he bowled on the crease it was very similar all the time. I think he was unfortunate not to get more wickets than he did because I think he did bowl threatening balls. That uh, I understand what Dan's saying about the fact that Brathwaite was protecting his stumps, which is what any good player does against left-arm spin and just accepts that they're going to play and miss every now and again. But I do think he genuinely beat Brathwaite a few times as well um, and could have got him out. So, yeah, I... It's a tricky one to dissect, really, because from where he was in Brisbane when he got whacked out of the attack to where he was, albeit on a very different pitch and a different team here in the West Indies, going at under two and over, being relatively threatening on a slow wicket. I mean, and let's bear in mind, Pamul looked even less effective than mm. Jack Leach in the game. So, so therefore, no one, the game never really picked up pace, you know. So it's hard to criticise him too much when no one else in the game looked looked effective at all. Um, do, you, so, do you think, though, that Finney, that, that because that, because it wasn't just that, that that element of fears, that real danger, does it, does this make Matt Parkinson more likely to come in? I, I mean, possibly in a, yeah. a two-spinner. I, I think, think there'll be anyway. two spinners. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah. I think he should have played anyway, to be honest. And but their by problem all is accounts, that while, the... while Lawrence and Root are in that side, providing off-spin against a, as opposed to slow left arm, then they kind of, in their brains, they think they've got spin covered, haven't they? But actually, what they needed was an actual specialist, wasn't it? That's it. I, I think the, the, a leg spinner is someone who is a luxury, I think, in a cricket team, in a modern cricket team, unless you've got a Shane Warner or a Yasser Shah who are able to control the run rate on a flat wicket. I think a leg spinner is a luxury. On what wickets do you use a luxury bowler such as that? Either one that's ragging square or one that is a bit like the ones that we've seen, a bit dry where seamers are really ineffective. You don't have a 90 mile an hour bowler to be able to turn to to take you wickets. Your next best option is a leg spinner. So I wouldn't be surprised. And, and albeit I think Matt Fisher did bowl well in the first innings, he didn't really get a bowl in the second innings. He was probably the least effective. Of, of the two of between him and Saqib Mahmood, who I thought bowled really well mm. and made things happen on a flat wicket, which is a sign of a really good bowler. I think that we could see Parkinson come in for Matt Fisher. And for the next let's not, let's not forget one thing as well, which is that, you know, there's a very good chance he's going to win that game if they review Jermaine Blackwood when he's plumb LBW yeah. off Stokes when they were on about, I don't know what they're on, but it was about 90, it was about like 90 odd for four. And Blackwood went on to get that obdurate, strangely, you know, out of character obdurate century with Brathwaite. Instead, they're four down and they got, you know, some jitters going on there. So, you know, I mean, all in all, don't you look back on that test and think, well, England dominated it. They got yeah. the rubber to green because they won the toss, batted first. But actually to dominate in the West Indies, England are going into the third test match all square with a chance of doing what only one English team has done since 1968 which is win a series in the Caribbean. Yeah, I, I think a England have shown a lot, a lot of character in, and I wasn't criticising Jack Leach at all, actually, because I do... He, first of all, he's a lovely bloke, as you mentioned. We all no, like I, Jack I was Leach. I was criticising him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just think he bowled what he bowled. He is a defensive... He's meant to hold up an end. He's not really the guy that's going to do a Murley on day five in Gaul 
and absolutely rip through a batting lineup to win you a test match. That's not what he's made a career out of. And uh, I think maybe it was a bit, he didn't, he, he just wasn't suited to bowling 69 overs trying to bowl a side out. He's there to go at 1.5 and over, which he did very well. I should mention with the Matt Parkinson, because I'm desperate for him to play this third test. And the rumours are the pitch is going to be quite similar. That his first class economy his first-class bowling economy is 2.77. Wow. So this isn't Mason Crane, who, you know, can take a wicket, but can also drag two down and over. Mason, Crane, points... Mason Crane's a friend of the podcast, by the way. So we, that, yeah, look, that, that's, I was Toby saying, I, I put, personally, Mason, <laughs> yeah, I think... Yeah, don't listen more, to us, Mason. A couple more years, a couple more years. Holy yeah, skills, hasn't got be a back. fucking clue, honestly. <laughs> Mason's got a fucking clue about anything. <laughs> I'm, saying Mason, look, I'm saying Mason Crane is... Look, there's a, there's a guy who could take your wickets, but maybe... English England selectors will be a bit afraid to put him in by himself with his economy rate of first class cricket. But Parkinson, I think he deserves a go. He, look, if he Matt Parkinson had bowled 69 overs, he would have taken more than three wickets, hands down. He, he wouldn't have had to bowl 69 overs because we would have got the West Indies out before that. So I'm desperate for him to play in this third test. You know, for, for you, for you, probably the ideal team for the next game involves playing three leggies, doesn't it? Get Livingston over, now get Crane in, yes. get Parkinson in. Now, that's just it. Have, I don't know. Trial by leg spin. Thank you. I don't typical know why. armchair fan. I don't. Literally <laughs> typical armchair fan. I don't know why. He sat there. Someone will score a hundred on the first day of the season. He'll be saying, "Hey, he's got to play for England now, hasn't he?" <laughs> I typical don't know. armchair. You know, fan. I don't know why. I don't know why my ideas aren't getting more reception here. Last week I had my genius idea of neutral groundsmen, so that every game ends in the final session of day five. <laughs> and now, I, and now I want England to play Matt Parkinson as their first choice spinner. And this is the abuse that I get. It's unbelievable. And I I want Liam Livingston in the test side as well. Uh, right, let's move on. Uh, I do want to mention that Ben Stokes batted really bloody well, but we've talked about Ben Stokes. You must have jo- Hang on. What we haven't talked about, I'm sorry, Toby, before you move on, is you being there, right? Because I don't think we've gone quite long enough on this because there was a, I saw this on Twitter that you were there and I think it might have been, was it the night after Stokes had gone Burko? I think you were quite inspired by that because you're just talking about Stokes having batted so well. And it's brilliant that you do remember at least that bit. But from what I understand, um, that night went quite ragged, didn't it? And this is public knowledge. It was out on because I do see clips of Radio X on Twitter. Well, part of the reason that I I didn't want to talk too much about the Ben Stokes innings is I barely remember a fucking ball of it because uh, <laughs> because. <laughs> Turns out that run punch, it'll, it, you know, the funny, as soon as you get off the, as soon as you get off the plane in Barbados, the taxi drivers, the person checking you in at the hotel, everyone warns you, be careful with the yeah. run punch. And I'm there going, yeah, yeah. And they're always going to always see a lot of tourists drinking too much rum punch. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just people that can't handle their booze. Who me? Nah, I'll be fine. And then sure enough, <laughs> that fucking, they, I tell you that, that what you need is more warnings about the rum punch, but they shouldn't be serving it to tourists for a start. I, I, let, me, let me tell you, so my, 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 my rum punch experience, I went to Barbados in uh, 2017, I think it was, 17 or 18, for the North v South series as a guest of the Barbados Tourist Board, <laughs> um, reporting for Crick Info, but basically being put up in the most fantastic hotel and, having to you know write some pieces but also mention Barbados in it uh, which I was very happy to do I'm sure uh, I, was, I was a late replacement for someone else and uh, I got there and I was taken into the hotel and I hadn't really worked out just how free all these things are because I'm not used to like being treated well as, as you know as, as people who listen to this podcast will know this is my normal <laughs> life <laughs> so I was taken in and I was taken over to see Keith I think his name was the barman by uh, Cedric, who was the, the tourist board guy, 
And he said to, uh, to Kate, he says, this is Daniel. Um, whatever he wants from the bar, he gets, right? For the week. And God, that's I'm a going, dangerous. Oh, my God. This is this is a game changer. I've only been off the plane an hour, and this is absolute. I thought I was going to hear to do some work. I was thinking, oh, my God, how am I going to get the technicals to work and get things out? Sod that. I've got free bar now for a week. So I said, so I thought to myself, how can I maximize this opportunity? So I said to Keith, I've heard from a very good friend of mine that you make the second strongest rum punch in Barbados. And he looked at me that brilliant Barbadian way, right? Bajan way. He's like, it was about 60 odd. And he tilted his head to one side and raised an eyebrow and went, second strongest. <laughs> and I had the best week I've ever had. So that's my that's my tip to anyone in Barbados. Say to the say to the barman, I've heard you make a brilliant rum punch, the second strongest on the island. Oh, that's again, you're full of good advice when it's far too late. Because also you could use that all over the island. You could go to somebody, I hear you do the second biggest lobster tail on the island. That's right. That's a guaranteed <laughs> way of getting there. <laughs> Finny, did it you as well? Was it uh, on your catamaran trip when you were on tour of England? A few rum punches on a catamaran and you ended up oh, in a karaoke bar. Oh, yeah. What were you singing yeah. after that? It was Craig David, seven days. <laughs> um and I've had a couple of experiences with rum punch, actually. My most recent one was I went to Antigua on holiday in no, October 2019. And that's when the draft for the 100th was on the original one. And I'd, I was the leading wicket taker for Middlesex that season in the T20, took Pfeiffer against Surrey. So I was like, oh, do you know what? I'm half a chance of getting picked up here, even at the, um, at the bog standard cheapest chips level. I was like, I'm half a chance here. I've played 100 odd games for England someone's going to pick me up and yeah I got I watched the the draft on an iPad in my hotel room whilst on holiday in Antigua got right down to the last pick no fucking sign of Stephen Finn in the auction <laughs> much like Richard Madley was explaining a few weeks ago and uh, and I went to Shirley Heights that night which is this beautiful cliff top bar where everyone goes on a Sunday evening and you drink rum punch, have food off barbecues. It's a great atmosphere. And I went there and just absolutely annihilated myself by nailing about 10 rum punches in an hour. And I don't remember the journey home. You wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Th- this is exactly what happened to me. I think they're so tasty. What's the chances? How has this happened to all three of us? I did. I, I mean, you know, what's the common denominator here? What's the common denominator? I mean, the fact that my Mrs. Pippa said it was the worst she'd ever seen me. And I mean, that is going some. I mean, literally, she said, one minute, you're having a great time. You were singing along to Walking in Memphis. And the next thing, you couldn't talk or stand. And, you, and I've just been drinking rum punch like it was water. So, yeah, be careful of the rum punch is my advice to anybody going to Barbados. But, uh, do you know, the irony is I was going to um, use this time that we've discussed rum punch to mention how uh, how at home in an England shirt Dan Lawrence looked in the last test match. But we've run out of time, so we're going to have to move on to something else. So, sorry, Dan Lawrence, you'll have to play really well in the next test match uh, if you want to mention on Zero Ducks Given, which, you know, is all any decent cricketer strives for, of course. <laughs> because... I've got to talk about uh, the probably the game of the year so far. In fact, what am I talking about? Definitely the game of the year so far. And that was England women's victory against New Zealand women's in the ICC Women's World Cup. We talked last week that England need to win all of their games uh, to have any chance of qualifying for the next, next stage of the World Cup. I was at 38,000 feet flying back from Barbados. You can get Wi-Fi now. 
I put my headphones in and I listened to, on TMS, Henry Moran uh, talking England's victory home. And everyone else was asleep around me. It was sort of in the middle of the night on the flight. Everyone was asleep. And I was just absolutely transfixed to the England women's game. And it should have been an absolute canter. England were chasing 203 runs. They were 176 for five. They were 192 for seven before they were 196 for nine. And then thankfully, the last wicket pair managed to get the remaining seven runs needed to win the game. Um, it was it was just absolute chaos. England tried their hardest to lose it. Uh, somehow they won it. Anya Shrubshaw, not for the first time in her England career, was the hero at the end. Uh, Norcross, I'd imagine you were having pretty much a heart attack, which, let's be honest, you've been due yeah. for a long time. Yeah, well, I have been due for it, and it, and it should be induced by this tournament. Um, uh, it, yet another magnificent game of cricket in this tournament, going right down to the wire, which shouldn't have done. So I was I was taken in by the weather forecast, and there's a very real danger. England had to win this game, really. If it had gone, if that had been rained off, their route through was going to require a lot of teams getting exactly the right result for them and probably with another rained off somewhere. So I was obsessed with the rain and they started atrociously. Anya Brunt and Anya Brunt? Anya Brunt. Let's call them Anya Brunt. <laughs> <laughs> or Brunt Shoal, whatever you want. That is, but that sounds a little bit spooky. But anyway, they bowled so poorly at the top of the top of the innings. First seven overs of absolute not filth, really. And then England got it back, absolutely got it back. Kate Cross, superb. Eccleston, superb. Charlie Dean, superb. It was brilliant to see. New Zealand were imploding. They got themselves a really lovely small target on a good wicket. And then they, they, they resembled at this point a maiden aunt who's just dropped her first tab of LSD. You know, your favourite <laughs> aunt, Ethel. And she's finally gone sod it. Or, you know, you're a widowed, a widowed aunt. You know, Cedric's been dead for 10 years. I've decided I'm just going to absolutely let my hair down. So, you know, they start off fine because it takes a while for the tab to take effect. And they get a 90-odd for two. And then suddenly they're like mistaking mantelpieces for dragons charging at their faces. You know, <laughs> anti-macassars suddenly resemble large spiders. And they're losing wickets left, right, and centre. So, how have you done this? What are you playing at? Runouts of, of unfathomable madness. Amy Jones whacking the the most pieish pie you've ever seen in your life. You know, Gatting's gobbling that up in under one second. It was Pie City straight to mid wicket. First ball of of Brooke Halliday spelling. She'd come in because Tahuhu had to go off injured. So New Zealand were like, losing bowlers left, right, and centre. And then England's batters are mistaking a mantelpiece for a dragon. And they're going completely batshit. It was, it was exhausting. And the problem was, I'd set myself various targets for going to bed, like the point at which I thought England had got it. And I thought, right, they've got it now, but I'd just double-check or keep the ear, earbuds in, lying in bed. And then it went lost wickets. And I've got, like, Henry Moran screaming in my sodding ear. I love Henry dearly. But I'm thinking, I really need to go to bed. It's 3.30. It's 3.30. <laughs> and then surely one day in this winter, I'll get to actually go to bed before four. <laughs> the worst winter of all time for me, stuck in fucking Britain watching all cricket from Australia and New Zealand. And uh, and I couldn't. And I was left right to the very end. The next day I was in pieces because I actually drunk quite a bit while watching it on the telly because I was getting annoyed with them mistaking mantelpieces for dragons. It was... <laughs> I mean, you, I mean... 
weirdly, that was actually quite a good analogy. In, in, in amongst the nonsense, that is exactly the way that you probably would describe that attempted run chase. It was absolute chaos. England are alive and well in the tournament. Uh, depending on when you're listening to this episode, um, they may or may not now be out, but they've got a great chance now. They've got two favourable games to finish off. They could very well make it through to the next stage of the World Cup. In fact, dare I say, I think they will make it through to the next stage of the World Cup. Weather this, permitting. Weather permitting. Weather permitting, sorry. But this tournament has been bonkers. It's been amazing. It's been brilliant. It's been a great advert for the game. Uh, Freddie, I want to ask you about those run chases because uh, Anya Shrubsol, it's not the first time she's she's led England home in a very important tight run chase. South um, Africa. South yes. Africa, exactly. So I remember hearing... Um, Ashley Giles talk about the Trent Bridge run chase in 2005. I was at a posh dinner and he was talking about it. And he said he'd never been more nervous when he was sat on the balcony going out to bat. He said once he got out there, you actually at least you have something to concentrate on. You're concentrating on the next ball. And he said he didn't really feel nervous chasing once he was out there. But he said sitting on the balcony is horrible. Now, you must have, what, 50 times in your career had to have come into bat in horrendous, horrendous situations. You, your heart must be going when you're waiting to go. You must be praying the batsmen in get the job done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're always happy as a tail ender when you don't have to bat for whatever reason, whether your team's doing very well or whether you get over the line without being needed to go out there. But yeah, that sensation of waiting and the uncertainty, I think, is a lot more than actually. When you get out there, you do just end up watching the ball and I mean, we're all pretty shit when we back down the bottom. So you get knocked over sometimes and come back in. But you're not, you, you sort of switch on when you get out there. But definitely the the waiting and the fidgeting and you need the toilet every two minutes, it feels like. And, and you have your spot in the dressing room that you're waiting to go out there. And if you're not losing wickets, then you're not allowed to move out of that spot. Otherwise, someone has a go at you. Yeah, there are lots of um, interesting times when you're there waiting, especially in a nervy run chase. I think. One of the funniest ones that I've done, you remember Broad and Trot um, in the 2010 test match against Pakistan at Lords. Broad got 169 and Trot got 200. I was sat on the floor of the dressing room with my pads on and because they didn't get out, I wasn't allowed to move. So I sat there for the entirety of that partnership (laughs) on the floor, fully padded up in the dressing room um, and and wasn't allowed to move. It was... um, mildly uncomfortable the only time you can move is if you dash to the toilet in between overs have a quick wee and then come back in and resume your same spot they don't make you use a bottle then or a catheter i mean no, i suppose it's really extreme in the australian dressing room who really want to win then that's exactly what would happen isn't it you know because that's your one percenters that's what dave brailsford would be after there you can't dash to the loo in an australian dressing room they literally insert a catheter into your dolphin's dolphin. mouth and you have to stay exactly where you are, whether you like it or not. <laughs> that's, 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 by the way, there's no evidence that actually does go on. No, no, I, no, there's, ab- there's, abs- there's absolutely no evidence. But, but, but one of the things that, 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 just, that just came to my mind then, which I'd slightly forgotten, but is always with us in cricket, the madness that often the most memorable games, obviously a memorable game is a really tight one, which goes down to, you know, eight or nine wickets down the second innings or, you know, being bowled out and losing by not very many runs. And the actors that play those parts in that stage in cricket are always the ones who are least suited to do it. And if you think like in a, in a game like football, you know, it's nil-nil, England have got to win against Greece. They can call up David Beckham, to, who's a free-kick specialist, to whack a free-kick into the net and it happens and we all go berserk. But when England desperately need 
seven runs. <laughs> They've got one in a test match. They've got one wicket left. You've got some drongo like Stephen wandering out to bat <laughs> with his pads on the wrong way around and appalling, you know, shin rash and uh, fiddling with his box with a, a bat that looks like a toothpick. <laughs> a, 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 wonder, a wonderful, a wonderful Woodstock cricket bat, moment. by the way, I should point out. A wonderful, no, a, a, a wonderful, wonderful Woodstock bat. But you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, a, the, it's not a flaw of cricket. It's, it's the, one of the things that makes it so brilliant. It's a beautiful it's quirk. design yeah. to have the wrong people there at the wrong, at the right it, time. It is the only sport I can really think of where that sort of has to happen. Like, in, like you say, in other sports, they kind of, you've got your job and we've got our job. But in cricket... The, the higher the higher standard you play as a bowler, your reward is you've got to face faster and faster bowling, bowling at your head. Uh, at a crucial moment, at a, at a crucial moment in a tight match. At a crucial <laughs> moment in a tight match. Uh, the final thing as well is that there's such a big difference between batting 10 and batting 11. All you've got to do as a tail ender is get yourself up to 10. Because no matter what, you know, number 11, who is a shit batsman, that's why he bats at number 11. But if he gets bowled to lose a tight game, all his teammates, whether they can hide it or not, are a little bit disappointed in him. And it's not his fucking fault. That's not his job. He's, he's not in the team to do that. But if you're at number 10 and you get out, you can also be disappointed at number 11. You better at 11 by any chance, Toby. Uh, no, well, this is it. This season, I got myself up to 10 and it's fucking hey! lovely. If I go Who try- the fuck is behind you? Honestly. <laughs> Stevie Wonder. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> But you go charging down the wicket and get stumped at 10. No, you know, you're fine. But you do it at number 11. Everyone's very, very disappointed in you. And there is also something beautiful about a, a, a tight, low-scoring game. What Give me a 170 plays 171 over that famous South Africa-Australia at one-day international. Any day of the week. It's like Hagler-Hearns only lasted three rounds and it's the greatest fight of all time. So yeah, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful match between England and New Zealand. And thankfully... England women came out on the right side. Uh, chaps, that has absolutely flown by. Well, it has for me. Finney, probably not. But me and Dan have had fun, and that's the main thing. Um, and I'll Yeah, well, we, we've got to stop now, have we? Oh, yes, I suppose we yeah. have. Do you know, they say men can't multitask, but um, towards the end there, I managed to book a Nando's. Um, so I've got to go, because I've got to go and collect it. So, uh, yeah, I, we that's all we've got time for, chaps. But lovely to see you both. Excellent. Well, that's brilliant. That means I've been saved any kind of ribbing about Bodmas, and I can also save my... Um, uh, my, my 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 quiz for next week. Oh. There's a quiz for next week. Oh, wow. That'll get the fucking listeners in. Right. Six. Well, actually, I, I did it a little bit last night, but uh, and it, and it's uh, and it's a goodie. It's a goodie. You'll like it. Oh, if you like Wordle, you need to mug up on Wordle. Okay. Well, I, I do Wordle, Nerdle, Hurdle, Worldle. Yeah. Uh, who are you? Which is the football one. We've got to guess the football. I've got loads going on. Well, we'll talk about this next week. Uh, <laughs> I've got loads going on. Get you. You've got a life, have you? Doesn't sound like it. <laughs> I've got loads going on trust me I'm well fucking cool (laughs) see you next week lads bye Sports Social Podcast Network with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.